This is the South Florida Tech Podcast, a weekly show where we bring you the awesome, innovative people building our South Florida Tech community. Each week, we'll introduce to you one of the Sunshine State's top business, startup, or tech leaders. Learn about who they are, what they do, and have some fun conversation along the way. Our podcast sponsor is Emerge Americas. Each year, global enterprises, disruptive technology, and elite startups are highlighted at Emerge's premier tech event, Connecting the Americas. The event is held in Miami Beach, which to date has hosted organizations from over 40 countries and featured over 250 speakers from around the world. Emerge Americas is transforming Miami's tech hub by connecting entrepreneurs, investors, leading business executives, and decision makers. We are uh, very honored to be welcomed by uh, Brian Bracken today. He is, uh, I, I was joking a moment ago, a general baller, but he is actually general partner at Lightshift Capital, uh, founder uh, of an investment fund focusing on startups founded by unrepresented professionals. Uh, he's responsible for fund operations, entrepreneurial training, and leadership of the AI team. But outside of Lightship Capital, Brian engages as an entrepreneur and investor through companies such as Fresh Fry, Undock, and Excited Inc. Before investing in companies, he worked as a senior project manager at Apple. He founded Kairos, an artificial intelligence company specializing in face, facial recognition, and he has become one of the more prominent uh, folks in the South Florida tech community and part of the Miami startup scene. Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. You guys are good with like, you're, you got the whole thing set up. You got the good voices. I need to work on my, my Zoom voice. <laughs> well, I, I've, I've been working on a number of voices over the years, but uh, <laughs> I, I've never thought of myself as a, a radio host. I thought I always had a, a, a good voice for it, but you know, then all of a sudden you start a podcast during COVID-19 and the whole world is different. I've but, always had a face for radio, so I understand that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So Brian, other than having a face for radio, uh, what is it that you do? What 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 is uh, life and Brian like? Uh, tell us about who you are and tell us about what you do with work. Sure, sure. Um, so my I'm a person that loves travel, loves people, loves community. One of the reasons I like what you guys are doing is I'm a big believer in South Florida, and and it's promised to be a, a not to be, but it is already one of the great um, tech hubs in the country and in the world. Um, so just making sure that we kind of tell our story a little larger. And then how do I take those learnings that I've learned from the Miami experience and then use those across different other regions in the US, like the Midwest, the South? How do I help uh, other cities like Cincinnati or Detroit or St. Louis or Tulsa, Oklahoma to, to follow the, the successful path that Miami has in creating its robust tech ecosystem? That's awesome. So I don't even know where to start, Brian. I feel I warned you guys before we went live that I feel like we could have like at least a two hour conversation here. I met Brian back in 2014, uh, back when uh, I was very hopeful of being selected as an Endeavor entrepreneur. Brian was already selected as an Endeavor entrepreneur and a leader in the ecosystem. And he just took personal time to meet with me and my co-founder, Yuha, to coach us in how to approach the international panel where we did end up getting selected. So thank you for that and always supporting us and all the things we're doing. So I feel like, you know, your passion for fellow founders and helping entrepreneurs is pretty longstanding. Uh, since the moment I met you, this is what you've been doing. 
Um, so it's awesome that you have your fund and you're doing this now in that way too, which is, is furthering it in other regions. I was wondering why, so why the focus on startups? Why founders? And in particular, underrepresented? You know, like I have an idea of this, but obviously there are, you know, some great challenges there. There's some great opportunities. So why did you decide to focus on this path, underrepresented founders in particular? Well, first thing, it's nice to get paid for all the efforts that I was doing for free before. So, <laughs> so <laughs> it's a wonderful improvement on the on that, plus you can do you can give more time, right? I, I I do you know twenty of these calls or twenty kind of support calls or more in a week. Back then I could only probably do two or three, right? So I love the scale that you can have by having a fun. But yeah, why this group? Why entrepreneurs in general? You know, I'm a I'm a big part of entrepreneurship to transform communities, even countries. And one of the things we believe as Endeavor folks, right, is that um, if you really support the, the best companies and the best people, you can literally impact GDP. Um, Endeavor, for those that may not know, is an or international organization in 35 locations of countries, really, um, around the world, markets. Um, they support over a thousand entrepreneurs who are, we consider high impact. So um, one, building great businesses, but also two, kind of great people. We really want to support great people so they can build great things. And those Endeavor entrepreneurs create about $24 billion worth of revenue every single year. And uh, I joined the board of Endeavor Midwest earlier this year. So trying to kind of continue to give back to these communities. And then the why are underrepresented? Um, same answers. There's a, a huge impact though. So only less than 3% of all venture capital goes to a woman. And that's ridiculous considering that 50% of the people, right? 0.2% of all venture capital goes to a black woman, right? Insane, insane. And so there's a societal issue there, which I'm trying to solve, but there's also a market failure that I'm trying to exploit to the benefit of our investors. And so again, this work feels like it's right for me. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to wrap my head around that, that uh, some of those, that data that, right there that you just shared. Um, you know, one of the things you, that's listed on your website is that, quote, diversity has evolved to represent more of a business strategy than a solution, end quote. Can you talk about that statement and how it's grown true in recent years? Yeah, one of our largest investments is in a company called Prove. It's a progesterone ovulation test. Um, and so anybody who's ever tried to get pregnant, um, knows that there's really two key hormones, estrogen that's talked about a whole lot and progesterone, which is important for both getting pregnant, but also staying pregnant and having a healthy woman and all these things. Um, and so there was not a urine test for progesterone on the market um, at all. And Joe, I don't know if you ever had any kind of, uh, any of these kind of use, uses or use cases, but um, Dr. Amy Beckley, the founder of the firm, she had seven miscarriages and she was like, you know what? I'm solving this problem myself. I'm a, I'm a scientist. I, I'm tired of it. Goes into her basement and creates a shelf-stable progesterone urine test in her basement. Passes her five, um, FDA 510K clearance in her basement. Gets it patented in her basement. Sells $200,000 of them on Kickstarter in her basement. Uh, and then goes to the JP Morgan Biotech Showcase and says, hey, 
investors, look what I've done. This is a big deal. And remember about 80 or so investors, not a single one of them um, got up to talk to her after her presentation. Not except even, for my wife. Wait, wait, wait. So not even talk? Not even talk to her about it. The only person of the 80 was my wife, Candace. And she was, Candace was one of very, like less than three, right, women in the room. So these are all mostly male investors. And they didn't see the impact or the value or the nicheness of fertility, which is insane. Like fertility is not niche. Certainly <laughs> <laughs> you <know>? is not. <laughs> yeah. No. And yeah. you know, if everybody was ever having trouble, you would pay anything. Like it's margins not a problem. So it's not like it's a so going back really to the core of the question, this is why it's a good business decision to back these founders because. These are problems that aren't being solved or invested in by the male investor class. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, talking about challenges that, you know, underrepresented founders face, maybe just to like talk a little bit more about what are those unique challenges that they face? Because founders face all sorts of problems, but they are definitely tougher for underrepresented. I mean, hearing the percentages of like women and, and particularly black women investment, like one of the, so one of the things I've heard is, which is, you know, challenging is, oh, there's just not enough of them. The businesses aren't worth investing in or they're not far enough along or there just aren't enough. Like there aren't women at the table because there's not enough or whatever it may be. So I've heard that a few times. And I guess I'm wondering like, what are your thoughts on that? And what other challenges uh, do underrepresented founders face so that we're aware of them so we can start? Yeah, because Joe, like you don't exist. You're not a real person you're not <laughs> like you, you I, don't exist. yeah I, I you know i looked in the mirror today and i was like i did not see myself <laughs> yeah nobody like nobody on this call exists <laughs> it's, it's 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 insane and then i bet each of us know a ton of amazing founders right that are like us right a ton what happens is oftentimes in new york and san francisco two groups I rail about on my social media, you guys know too. Um, oh, yeah. there's, a, there's a culture in investment that says, we, we, don't, we only take warm intros. There's no way to apply on our website. There's no way kind of into this thing. You have to know somebody that knows us. And what happens, like we tend to know people that look are most like us. <laughs> and so then we get this idea, oh, like nobody's applying. They're just, there are no black women. Like, you know, like it's because you don't have enough black women in your network, but if you allowed open applications, mm -hmm. uh, you wouldn't. And, and they, they continue to fight me on this. Even, even good-minded people, not necessarily race-straining, but just like, they just really believe that they're gonna be flooded with applications. But here's the deal and what they don't understand, and I've had to talk to people one-on-one -on -one at dinner about this. You know, they don't realize the, the emotional impact they're having on these people in the sense that those of us that are minorities, we know how they used to have country club rules that required you to get warm intros to join the country club. And you yep. had to have certain rules to join a union or like these, the same policy has been used to keep minorities out of places throughout American post Jim Crow history. Mm -hmm. but they don't, they, they're not doing it for the same reason but they don't realize they're using the same tactics yeah. and how, how much that hurts. How do we break that? One conversation, unfortunately, one conversation at a time. I've had a hard time, you know, the, the, the blast message doesn't seem to be working. So maybe we can just get folks in a room one at a time. Yeah, I do agree. Like I, it made me think immediately about like a lot of membership based things like 
clubs, organizations. And yeah, it, it, is, it is really tough. Like you do see a lot of similarity around yourself. Uh, that, you know, there's a, a big entrepreneur organization down here, not Endeavor. But when you go to those meetings, you look around and it's a lot of similar people. It's a lot of white men, even though there are, it's not, there's tons of different entrepreneurs down here, but they're not part of that organization. And so they're trying to make a big effort, uh, which I, you know, to target minorities, women, but you got it. You, I agree. You got to go out and find them and encourage them as much as, you know, in addition to having open and not just getting the warm leads. Cause that organization that I'm part of is also, you have to get referred by someone. Um, so yeah, totally. Got to break this cycle. And also this, this idea of referrals, it comes from some of these larger cities where there's just so many people that they've kind of created intentional barriers, yeah. but the rest of us don't live in those cities. We can't mimic that behavior from New York city or San Francisco because it's corrosive to a Miami where, 75% of Miamians were not born in Miami. 50% of Miamians were not born in the United States. And I'm using Miami as a general South Florida pejorative. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like we don't have we don't have time for groups or classes of folks because none of us are all new. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So uh, Brian, there's uh, there are differences when working with underrepresented founders than those who aren't. Um, and, and there's perhaps a mindset or work ethic uh, difference here. Can you speak to some of that? Yeah, underrepresented founders are more likely to not even bother to raise money. Really? Um, yeah, so they'll bootstrap longer mm -hmm. um, and they'll just make it work on revenue. This impacts in, uh, growth, unfortunately, but it does allow them to kind of slowly ramp up, hire staff, that kind of thing. They're, they're challenging with this, one, you get copycats after the, after the model is, is established and the copycat will just raise a bunch of money from someone else and then just copy what you're doing as a true innovator. Um, and two, you never reach kind of critical mass where you're able to kind of get enough escape velocity where the dangers of closing go away. And now it's only how big is my win gonna be, right? And so that's where we, we try to talk to those founders about why raising money in that scenario makes sense. But also maybe it's not venture capital. Maybe that's just a debt or loans, or there's, there's a variety of other things. Um, but yeah, we try to get them to think about capital being a way to boost growth. So just a, a, Go ahead. You know, a follow up on that, Brian, I mean, can you speak a little bit to, you mean, you've raised capital before you've been out there in, in, in good times. Yeah. yeah. $13 million before it was cool to be black and raising capital. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I know Joe's going to speak to um, some uh, funding questions too, I'm sure. But, you know, what was that like for you to go out there and to raise some capital yourself? Like $13 million is not a small amount of change. Ooh, that's awesome. It was a hand-to-hand -hand combat is how, how it happened. Um, but I would say I, I pitched the company over a thousand times. So then I had uh, 120 investors. So that means I had 880 no's. Wow. to that to that uh 120 yeses and so the fact that we raised that much money tells you it's a perfectly investable company so why would a perfectly investable company have 880 no's right some of those are good reasons but some of those are biased right mm -hmm. and so yeah you have to kind of literally look someone who's biased in the face <laughs> and just put like leave the meeting put it out of your head and move on to the next person. You got to do it over and over and over again to be successful. 
I think it's really like, man, it's awesome. The company's in a fun, like, I, I do think it's special to, you know, not only be getting, not only getting funding from someone, but someone who's been a founder, been in the founder shoes, done the fundraising before. Um, so I'm sure that experience share is incredible. I know it was for us big time. Um, I, I'm wondering what, what else are you guys focusing on with Lightship for services or mentorship coaching that you're providing founders? What, what does that look like uh, on your guys' team? Well, to, to the first point, because I pitched so many people and I have a pretty very good memory, um, we, we play this game where I have the founder on a, on a, on a, a little card give me the gender, city, right? And uh, age of an investor that they want me to be. And they give it to me. And I spin around the chair three times and I become someone that I pitched, right? Uh, role playing mock trials, that's awesome. <laughs> right? And I'll just give it back to them exactly as they gave it to me. Sometimes they're aloof. Sometimes they're pitching, right? And I'm and I'm just like on my phone, I'm not paying attention. Like sometimes they're pitching and I'm asking them, oh, like you're, didn't you just get married? Like, what are you gonna do if you get pregnant? Like, you know, I like, I'll like give them all yeah. the, you know, ridiculous situations. And so they can, you know, be jarred by it the first time, but it'll be with me in a safe environment versus being jarred in front of the investor, right? Or at least they know if you hear this, just move on, right? So that, I think that certainly helps. But then we also offer generally kind of Google Ventures level of service because that service isn't, be off isn't being offered in the Midwest and the South, right? So we have a, um, a director of content who's a, kind of a really like an award-winning writer. We have a director of engineering who we, we, are, we become the CTO or help them find a CTO and hire a CTO in their organizations or we'll just kind of jump in on a fire or whatever. Um, we have folks in partnerships we have folks in, in the venture capital space helping with their term sheets, this and that. I'm an investment team. So we have different teams for everything that the company is going to need. Yeah. We just make ourselves available. A design team. Like we make ourselves available to the companies as, as need be. That sounds awesome. Um, super cool. And, and obviously, I think the other thing too is like you, probably you and Candice have been so thoughtful about what you're providing, which services, uh, just because you've been through it yourself. And you can, it's so easy to see like the things that would have been such a big help. I was wondering, you know, I know you're a huge advocate of Miami and South Florida. Uh, what, what do you think about the minority founder support in South Florida currently? Um, what do you think, you know, what can we do more of, less of? How can we elevate? Because I, I'm a huge believer. I think diversity is going to be our competitive advantage. I know I'm borrowing that from Matt Hagman, but uh, I, I really believe it. It's one of the things that attracted me here. So I'm just wondering, can you speak a little bit to like what's happening in South Florida now? Where, where do we want to work to get to, to help those? Yeah, I think for everybody in the call, Matt Hagman is like one of their favorite humans, like on the entire planet, yeah, right? Yeah, like, for sure. <laughs> like hands down, like, and that's a crazy thing to say for all of us to say this, to say that, right? It speaks to the, the character of him as a human. And if he heard this, he would hate even hearing Oh yeah. As you, <laughs> as you know. Because um, he's that kind of guy, but you know, it's in his era at Knight Foundation, we saw a lot of investments in the minority communities. And one of the things there's, there's a really cool meme of kind of three kids trying to like look over a fence, and they're different, they're different heights, right? And so, if you're already tall, you might be able to look over the fence, and if you're shorter, you might need a box or two boxes to stand on so you can see over the fence. And that is kind of like you know, real equality there. So what, one of the things that I've talked to Raul and I about lately is 
you're going to have to do different things for this these communities just to get them to even um and, and taking kind of like an, an all lives matter approach right to like we're going to have something for everybody but we're starting at different places like you're gonna have to some programs that are specifically for women mm -hmm. right like babson wind lab which i think has been very successful mm -hmm. and uh, programs that are specifically for for ethnic minorities like even the disabled like there's no reason that we we shouldn't leave the space of like, like elder folks um starting companies in florida right yeah. like we should be doing seed rounds for folks that are 50 plus right why not us if not us who else <laughs> right um I, I forget what the quote was if not us then who if not now then when but i think that probably has a lot of impact I, i'm gonna look that up after we get off the call but um you know speak of um matt hagman um i, I was in kansas city with matt once at i believe it was the kaufman foundation event that was held there and it was like, hey, you know, let's let's chat for a little bit, like while we're here. And he's like, yeah, why don't you like come to this thing with me that Felicia Hatcher is doing, and we can like chat in the way. And I'm like, yeah, totally sure. So I I, I go there, and Felicia had put together a roundtable of uh, underrepresented founders and ecosystem builders in Kansas City. I think Joe's heard me mention this before. And I look around, and I'm in a room of like two, three dozen people, and I am the only you know, stereotypical white guy that is there. And I am sitting in a room of people who are absolutely brilliant, amazing. And like hearing um, this conversation about how do we get more underrepresented founders to succeed? Like, what do we have to do as like their support system? And how do we, you know, work through the, the, the typical and the atypical means to do it? And kudos to Matt for like bringing me into that conversation, right? And I, I feel like that's the stereotypical Matt, like let, let's like engage these conversations, let's have them, let's go outside the norm and let's try and feel like how we can do better. So kudos to Matt, I'll text him later. We'll, we'll, we'll mention that we talked about him, but before, um, you know, we, we dive in because Joe's got some questions to come up here one of the things that um, we noted here, um, and I, I, this, this might be a little weighted, but you don't require to be on the board when you invest. And I, I think typical, especially of early stage investors is they want a seat at the table or seat at the board in some way, but uh, you made the decision to not do that. And you know, maybe dive into that and how it impacts you know, the companies that you invest in and the founders that you invest in. Yeah, yeah. And we oftentimes we're asked to take a board seat. Um, and then we will go on if there's there's a need. We wanna we wanna protect our founders from you know crazy rogue boards like I've had in the past, right? And how do we like yeah. make sure that the, the founder is always put first? One of the problems in the space is um, the the white male founder is seen as very special, like a Zuckerberg or the you know like an Uber founder or a Rework founder, right? And Adam Newman, and so there, it's always about how do we protect that special person and give them all kinds of crazy privileges and rights, independent of even the bad behavior, right? Which we and you don't even see that as often with with the minority women founders. Actually, you never see women founders except for maybe like uh, the lady with the blood thing. Um, so. But then the, the minority or the black founder is seen as lucky, not as special. And that you can just bring in any like any gray haired person, like, okay, you've done a good job. Let's have you go on. We'll, we'll bring somebody else in and that new person always runs into the ground, like every, like, like 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. 
And so one of the things that we see um, is that like angel groups will oftentimes, cause they're all kind of like from the older school, you know, Pepsi boards or whatever. We'll take a company with like, this happened to me, literally a eight, nine, 10 person company may have like a seven person board. Like, like <laughs> insane, insane, insane. Yep. I had, a, I had a seven person seated board with two observer seats, nine people. And we had like 11 employees or something like that. I mean, it was absolutely insanity. So, so one of the reasons we don't take a board is to try to not see that happen. But if, there, if a board is set, we are willing to join it. We're, I'm actually looking at sharing a board now for one of our soon to become investments so that we can keep that board small and focused and not distracting the entrepreneur. I love hearing that. That's so awesome. I feel like board participation and reporting can be such a time on drag and a distraction from like doing the growth and the building in the day to day. So I totally agree with that. I think there are a bunch of different boards. There's founder first boards, which are rare. It sounds like you guys are really working hard to achieve that. Uh, and then there's our, then there are boards who want to like have oversight on where, what's going on with their money. And, and usually they're driven by like their intentions and motivations in those board meetings when they're so focused on profitability and what's going on with the money and when is their turn coming. It always just derails like what the best decision is. And uh, well, not always, most of the time. Every time. <laughs> Every time, yeah. And it's just, it's really tough. And once they once those, I feel like once those investors have a seat, oh man, they're glued to that seat. It's really hard to like change the dynamics. So that's so awesome to hear that. And I, I was wondering, so there's, I'm sure there's people listening in right now who are like, I want to be part of that fund. Yes. Heck yeah. That sounds great. So I'm wondering, what do you and Candice look for, right? What are you looking for? How is a founder going to get your guys' attention uh, to invest in sure. them? Yeah. So the first thing, as mentioned earlier, anyone <laughs> can apply for investment. Please do. We welcome it. There are no warm intros. Hashtag no warm intros. So... <laughs> You just go to lightship.capital and there's literally a link at the top of our page that says apply for investment. Like literally, like it's literally that simple. And then we cut to like a short number of questions just because we don't need every single thing that some of these platforms ask for just to say the first yes or no. Like record a video yourself, put in a deck. What city are you in? You know, like, like very, very straightforward stuff. And we can tell if we should get on the phone or not. Like that's that's it. We see about two thousand applications per investment a year, so it's a lot of need, kind of you know, in these areas. But even more. And also, we respond to every single application. Every single person gets a yes or a no because we want you to feel like this is for you. Like some VC funds, they don't allow open investment, and then we, we do get to them, they don't even respond. Like it's insane. So we're trying to treat people with respect and like humans. That's the top. And then we have a kind of criteria. You have to be in the Midwest or the South mm -hmm. uh, geographically. You have to be in a demographic group. And that's again, that's uh, women of any color, uh, ethnic minority, LGBTQIA plus, um, or the disabled, right? So it's a pretty wide swath. And, and for the record, people might say like, oh, well, how are you gonna get in the best deals if you're not investing in an older white guys? Like, well, <laughs> actually, Fred, if you were to look at, the CEO of Apple, Facebook, I don't know, Apple, Google, IBM, like Microsoft, 
they would all be in thesis. All those videos would be in thesis, right? So like, you know, there's no drop off in the quality of, of leader just because you're looking at just these this group, right? And then we only invest in, in five industries because we want to really focus our attention on certain areas that we do well in the Midwest and the South. Uh, and that's consumer packaged goods, so CPG, uh, that's artificial intelligence. I have a little bit of a background there, obviously, but also e-commerce, sustainability, and healthcare. You know, South Florida, great healthcare environment, as you would imagine. And then a lot of our investors are also in those spaces. So um, Procter & Gamble is an investor. Our Kroger's is an investor of ours. Delta Dental, um, in the insurance healthcare space is an investor of ours. So we, we look at that. As Love well. it. That's awesome. So you heard it here, light your capital. That's how, that's what you all need to do. Yeah, so um, we are- Joe, did you have a question before? The rapid yeah, we were actually at time. So Joe, I, I would love for you to get the rapid fire question. Let's do, do it. Okay. So rapid fire, Brian. Go. This is going to be a tough one. In case you guys didn't know, Brian splits his time between these two cities. If you had to pick one, Miami or Cincinnati. Ooh, what on the be? hot seat. <laughs> on the hot seat. I love Cincinnati's architecture, culture. The food's great. It's different than Miami's food. People. There are over a thousand. There are over a thousand black businesses in my in, in Cincinnati that are over a million dollars mm. in revenue. Like we have to get there as a city in Miami. Um, but I like I like the weather too, and I like the people, and I, and and Miami kind of made the person sitting here in front of you today. So I would say Miami one, Cincinnati one A. Okay. I love it. Miami rapid we got to go rapid fire, fire on right, these. Rapid, rapid, rapid fire. Eagles, Eagles or the Heat. All day. All right. All right. That answers that. <laughs> what? <laughs> He's an avid fan. Uh, book on your nightstand right now. Uh, nothing. Just nothing. And <laughs> audio book. Good. Uh, most productive time of day. Ooh. First thing in the morning, seven to ten a.m. Time you go to bed. Ten. Time seven. you wake up. Favorite podcast? I love it. Uh, is there a motto, mantra that you live by that inspires you, that guides you? And what is it? Wow. I would just say in life, just start, do it, do mm -hmm. it well. But you got to start. Don't plan too much, just do it. Love it. Love it. And Dude, love you, man. You're awesome. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with us, uh, you know, and taking some time out of your day. Um, again, if anybody who's listening wants to learn more about Palm Beach Tech, you can go to palmbeachtech.org. Uh, shout out to WinCode, Joe and her team. If you want to jumpstart your technology career with premier accelerated training, web development, UI, UX, digital marketing, uh, go to WinCode Academy at wincode.co and you can apply there. And uh, thanks to you guys. Thanks to Brian. Thank you for Joe for spending some time with me this afternoon. Hope everyone has a good rest of your day. And follow me thanks. at Brian Breitkin on Twitter. See you guys. Yeah, I love it. Bye. We'd like to thank our producing sponsor, Media Ops. They're the premier global media platform for technical communities with brands such as DevOps.com, Security Boulevard, Container Journal, and Digital Anarchist. DevOps.com, their primary brand, attracts and engages a thriving online community of technology professionals around the world. It is the largest collection of original content relating to DevOps on the web today, featuring up-to-the-minute news, highlighted stories, blogs, and more.